Hello, and welcome to Cap Times Talks, a podcast bringing you smart conversations about big topics in our city. On today's show, we ask, how can Madison get better public art? From the statue of Abraham Lincoln on top of Bascom Hill to the dozens of fiberglass cows that pepper the Madison landscape, public art plays a major role in shaping our city. So earlier this week at the Madison Museum of Contemporary Art, the Cap Times hosted a conversation with artists and art administrators about what we want public art to say, who should make it, and how it should fit within our city's landscape. The panel included Kelly Park Snyder, an artist and activist. I'm just driving through town and I just say, there should be art there. There should be art there. There should be art there. I'm always seeing this. Mark Fryre, the director of Dane Arts. I get so upset when I see so much art happening, but it's not recognized as art. It's recognized as something that's not even recognized. It just passes through people's brains. Karen Wolf, the Madison Arts Program Administrator. It is our collective space. It is our shared space. And when we put something there, we have to be very careful about um, making sure the voices are at the table and making sure we've done our due diligence. And Faisal Abduala, the Creative Arts Community Faculty Director at the University of Wisconsin-Madison Arts Institute. The artists must be given space. The artists must be given, you know, um, a certain amount of capacity to, to create the work. Cap Times reporter Lindsay Christians moderated the discussion. I'll let her take things from here. First of all, the, the kind of question I want to throw out to everybody is um, basically what we talk about when we talk about public art. Um, so define, you know, what do you think of when you hear the words public art? Who makes it? Who is it for? And what is its job? Public art is the nexus of gatherings. For me, it's all about gathering. It's all about bringing people together through the use of public art. It's free. Anybody can participate. There's no VIP section. There are no tickets being sold. It's accessible to anybody and everybody, and we should have more of it. I think sometimes um, public art can be very problematic because I think there's a um, there's almost like a, a mini mafia that takes place because sometimes there's one opportunity, there's one site. Uh, generally, the person who writes the check has one person that they want to have, and they make a call for all these artists to submit, but really they want this one person. Um, and generally the public really have issues with it. So I think public art is really, it's really complex. Um, when I think about um, art, you know, I think art is something that transforms the way we see ourselves. It transforms the way we see the world that surrounds us. It agitates, it, it, it informs, it educates. Um, you know, art has the ability to um, transform the way we, we think. And, um, you know, just believing and understanding all that, um, it, art needs to be everywhere um, for those exact reasons um, because of its influence. Um, but, uh, you know, we just have this, uh, many times we think that art uh, belongs in institutions, museums, u- universities, and in, in, in places like that. So we have a hard time seeing that, uh, that it needs to be in, in all, all kinds of spaces just for those transformative reasons that I brought up. I relate to everything they're saying. Um, I define it very openly with things that are available, accessible in public space. 
So when people propose something that's inside of a private mall, I don't consider that public art. Um, I consider, you know, things in the outside world, things in the public library, in our public spaces, and and things that we come together collectively um, to make meaning out of the world we're in right now. I feel like when I bring up public art, you know, just with my friends or other people that I'm chatting with in the office, one of the first things that comes up is bad public art, like <laughs> things that people dislike. Um, and I don't think I have to be specific about that in Madison. <laughs> um, but I do want to sort of throw that out there too. So what makes a piece of public art not work? I know which piece you're talking about. <laughs> oh, it's between a couple. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, this, the city of Madison just passed a percent for art ordinance, and it actually had one a long time ago. And one of the reasons it kind of faded into the um, non-existence is that a piece of public art happened in Madison that I really happened to love, the Haas mural. And from what I've read in the papers and what I've tried to put together, it seems that people felt left out of the process, um, that they felt it was imposed on them, that they didn't have a voice. And I think there is, it is our collective space. It is our shared space. And when we put something there, we have to be very careful about um, making sure the voices are at the table and making sure we've done our due diligence with a participatory pro process. Um, people will not like it. There will always be people who will not like it, but it really helps to be able to say, this is what we did to try to come to a, an agreement on this piece. Well, I think the beauty of public art is that you love it or you hate it. You immediately have a reaction. There's no, I'm not sure, it immediately forms an opinion. And that's the beauty of it. And that's the gathering process of it, is that when you are in the public domain, you see art, whether it's, and I don't mean just visual arts, theater, dance, performance, literary, multicultural, multidisciplinary art, filmmaking, all of that in the public domain allows people to come together and hate it or love it, and then we have a discussion. It's pretty simple. I mean, I, th I think I agree. Um, and I think with all things being equal, where you have the artists and you have the, you know, the public or you know, the people who may want to have input, I think the artists must be given space. The artist must be given, you know, um, a certain amount of, you know, capacity to to create the work. Because I think if there are too many voices within the mix, and I think the artist is compromised. And no artist wants to make something publicly. I'm sure artists are in here. have been in that situation, whether it's been in a show, whether it's been making something for a magazine, that they feel they're being compromised. And in some ways, the work doesn't become theirs. So I think it's important to create these, this, this, you know, the, the space where the, the discussion takes place where the artist who is being selected or artists have a process, a work process that really can dialogue with, you know, with the community, um, but also that artists can essentially keep their identity within the work. Well, um, you know, talking about whether art is legitimate or not, I, I, I find it hard to, I, you know, what I'm more interested in you know, is, you know, lately I've been doing a lot of pop-up shows and, um, you know, and, and I combine art with activism. So, you know, when you're trying to translate um, social, cultural, or like these political issues and conversations, you know, your, your, your art has to pop up fast to keep it, because it's, re to keep it relevant. 
um, because it's, it's, it needs to be in the now. So, um, you know, I think, um, you know, having, um, sh you know, shows pop up in, in all kinds of spaces. And, and, and because there are so few spaces uh, at this time, many of the times that these shows are brought up, they're, they're, not, they're temporary. And then you don't have to deal with a lot of the, the, the lengthy um, schedules, you know. Uh, but the other thing that it, it makes me think about is, is I, I work with youth a lot. And, um, and, you know, young people are so tired of being bystanders, you know, and just sitting around and having this garbage on the television just thrown at them day after day. And, and what I have found that, um, you know, working with young people and, and getting young people engaged um, in the process of creating art and transforming their environment so it represents them and their history and their community, um, you know, that's powerful. Um, and whether some people think that's legitimate or not, it, 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 it is. It's art. It's very powerful. I was going to say, several artists also like the idea of interactive art. So it's not art unless audience participates. And that's some of the art that you see done publicly where it has an interaction with participants who are walking down the sidewalk, who see public art, who have an option to participate in that process. Because for many artists, it's not actually art until there's some interaction with participants. So one comment I've seen sort of in advance of setting this panel up was that art, public art needs to be in support of the producers. And that I know I've seen arguments for and against this idea of having our city's major public art made by people who live locally in Dane County or opening it up sort of nationally. And I know that there are some different views in this panel and I would just love to hear your perspective on whether Dane County should prioritize Wisconsin artists over folks from out of state when considering public art. Um, there's there's a lot there's a field of public art administration and there's best practices within that field and um, we, we often debate at the Madison Arts Commission trying to strike a balance between um, prioritizing and celebrating and supporting our local artists who need our support and also um, making sure that they have opportunities elsewhere the, there's kind of a gentleman's agreement forgive the gender bias in my phrasing, um, among arts administrators that we try not to restrict calls when possible, and particularly in a state like Wisconsin, which spends 14 cents per person on art, whereas our neighboring state in Minnesota spends $6.01. If they restricted their calls to local artists, our artists would not be eligible to go work in a state like that or in states that are funding. So we all have sort of a let's try to keep the calls open and that's actually a benefit to our local artists elsewhere. At the same time, good public art is very responsive to the site that it's in, and no one knows our community better than people that live in our community and are invested. So we're, we, have, we do give a slight prioritization to local artists um, in a public art call, but we really try to keep the doors open. You know, art that's done by outsiders, as much as I agree with Karin on having artists come from outside the community, that money's leaked out of the community when they leave. I'm a very big believer in local art because there's so many great local artists of all disciplines that we can keep it local. We did an economic impact study in 2016 based on the numbers of 2015, and $250 million goes back into the local economy in Dane County through arts and culture. 
That's significant. That's an economic driver. And I know many individual artists put their money right back into the local economy when they purchase materials that they need to purchase. So I'm a strong believer, and we could be doing things more locally. We buy local produce. We buy local farming. Well, we should be buying local art. And most businesses need to step forward, and we, need, as artists, need to do a better job at getting them to step forward. I'm not putting the responsibility on corporations or businesses. I'm putting the responsibility back on us to make sure that we're more vocal and visible about the work that we're doing. I just want to disagree with one point. Even when we hire an artist from Texas to do a project here, if that budget is $100,000, they may take 10000 out of the community, but they're probably hiring local engineers, local fabricators, just going to our local paint stores, um, and a lot of that money does stay in the community. So just want to keep that perspective. I mean, for me... I'm actually not from Madison. Um, so, you know, this is my, my fourth year, and I, and I love this city. I, I think I'm, I'm a resident of, of Madison. Uh, and I just think, you know, public art, you should just have the best. You should have the best. And this city, every year, is in the top ten cities in the whole United States of America. That is an amazing, you know, label to have. So if it's a destination site for people to come, and it's, and it's accoladed, and I think there should be artworks in Madison that are in the top 10 in the United States. Now, whether they're from the community, I don't care. Whether they're from space, I don't care. As long as they can provide the best visual experience for Madison. Yeah, and just going with that, I mean, I think the problem is we don't have many, as, as many opportunities as we need to have. And I think that's the problem that we need to solve first, is like having more opportunities for artists and having more public art um, possibilities in this community. That actually leads really well into my next question, which is um, I heard a lot of discussion about how we can get more public murals in Madison, sort of both like temporary murals, like on the side of Mother Fools that kind of changes regularly, and more permanent mur murals as well. Um, and so I saw a suggestion, for example, on Facebook for like freestanding walls near Central Park where, you know, we could just have temporary murals happen. So um, how can Madison encourage more work on murals like this, whether by professional artists or with community collaborators, um, sort of both temporary and permanent, um, suggestions for fewer city county hoops to jump through for artists? Um, how can we have more public murals? Well, in Dane Arts, Mural Arts, which Alicia, Amita, Amy um, have all been a great part of. Jenny, you know, it was originally started out of the offices of Dane Arts in 2014, but based on a lot of what the city did with Sharon Kilfoy long, long before that. But the county, I don't know whether it was a mistake or a good reason, I said yes when Sharon came to me about starting the mural program in Dane County, and we did. But through all the bureaucracy and the hoops we've had to jump through, thank goodness the success of the mural program has been so wildly successful. You're now your own nonprofit. You have your own board. The county gave us a building in which now houses them at $1 a year. So there are ways that there are partnerships that can happen that creates public art on a long-term basis as well as uh, uh, installations on a short-term basis. But I think there's whole lots of ways we can create art. And we all, we all want the highest artistic merit and anybody, but if we can go local, I'd rather go local than outside initially, but we all want the highest artistic merit. And I think um, the city has um, gotten better, I want to say, without jinxing myself over many years in terms of um, allowing permission walls and allowing murals in, on public buildings. One of the things that they look at is um, where is the mural going to be 
So there's certain areas, urban design districts, historic landmarks, that, that are regulated. But basically, private property, it's pretty easy to put a mural up or put a permission wall up. And the Madison Arts Commission has even funded um, permission walls in various places, you know, just to get the infrastructure going. Permission um, wall is a new word, new phrase for me. So oh, what's a permission wall? It's just wall? a wall where, you know, aerial, um, aerosol artists have the right to go and change out images. And Mother Fools is an example of the best example, I would say, in Madison of a good permission yeah. wall. Um, and they're a little bit more systematized in some spaces, but I think it works well for us here. And, um, you know, there are things that we learn. Um, uh, Brazilian artist who lives in Madison um, has a lot of ties with Brazilian street art collectives, Enrique Narde. And um, he came last year to Madison Arts Commission wanting to do a mural when he had an artist team in town. And the hard thing was identifying the site because, you know, you need to find a property owner that's willing to have that treatment to their building that doesn't have historic brick and is ready to go. And, um, you know, so as, as private owners come forward and, and avail their space, I think we have the artists and the desire to fill them. Well, that's the beauty of the mural program with Dama is that's the outcome is a beautiful mural. The work is about engaging community members and what they believe makes their community strong, beautiful, and healthy. So through the community engagement and all the community gatherings with the artists and with the community members, whether it's a school, a community center, a city, a township, anywhere, it's all about what the ideas are from the community in which we live and work. The artists then take those designs, go back to the community, have more discussions, Everybody's allowed to participate from the beginning until the end, and that's the beauty of this public art with Dama, is that everybody can participate, and then you have the outcome of a beautiful mural done on uh, Polytab that uh, can be used anywhere and moved anywhere at any time, and these guys have shown how great it can be done. So thank you, guys. <laughs> yes. I think two kind of ideas that, that came to mind and one was the idea of um you know the art department you know i think we we, we have a, a wonderful department here and i don't know if there's any crossover between how you know graduate students could have some kind of experience doing murials so at some point when they're if there's a way in which that they could be some kind of training or some kind of opportunity there's an, a small award where they get an opportunity to do some kind of mural work i think it would somehow nurture that notion of, of local and also I'm curious about the idea of the word community because you know I work with communities as well um, who don't feel part of the community they have no you know say in 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 in, in a sense what happens visually they don't feel a part of the museum because they feel they have to pay to come in um, they don't feel a part of the this is you know the kind of the Madison footprint because they've come from other cities so I think the idea of how we look at you know, sharing knowledge and sharing experiences and believe that art is this democratic process. I don't think that's always the case. And I think there needs to be some kind of bridge um, between that as well. Um, so actually, speaking of the university, there is a descendant of Cows on Parade that's coming to Madison soon in the form of 86-foot-tall Buckies, Bucky Badgers sculpture. And each is going to be painted by a different amateur or professional artist. 
and I guess they're going to be all over the city. I don't know where they're all going to be placed at this point. But I'm curious whether you see this as a productive trend in public art, whether you see this sort of defining the city in a certain way, you know, in conjunction with the university, um, whether it, you know, could raise an artist's profile. Just thoughts about the... Yes, oh, so but it's Bucky's. It's eighty. It's eighty Bucky's. Eighty. It's a lot of Bucky's. <laughs> but they'll Bucky all be different. Mark and I were both advisors to that project, and I think. I mean, I can't speak for him, but I saw us struggling a bit at times. Um, and just grounding ourselves in advocacy for the artists who would then get the gigs painting. Bucky's. Uh, I think the jury is out on whether, you know, fiberglass Bucky's are, a, you know, what the validity of. She oh, thought I was Bucky. having problems. Oh, Bucky. Um, but, okay, so here's my Bucky thing um, and how I came to rationalize um, Bucky's. Um, when I was younger, I was a little snobby about projects like that because I felt like they were about, um, they were saying, you know, we celebrate our individualism as Americans, but that they, in fact, were doing the opposite. They're giving a form to an artist and that, and that artist has to stay in that form and that it's about normalizing and it's about hegemony. And so I was just all upset about it. But then I started seeing how much children loved whatever, Bucky's, Bears, whatever your town is cows. doing. Cows. And um, what are those things in Milwaukee? They're like little creatures. Beasties, of course. And, and I thought, well, you know, children deserve artwork that resonates with them, that they can access, that they can get excited about. So settle down. And then further, I saw what um, David Lynch did with a cow in New York, and I was forever like, okay, if, that, if the artist can't handle the form... You know, he did a cow did so do? offensive that they would not put it up in New York City. That's delightful. And you should Google it because it's like he really busted. I'm kind my, of afraid to Google it. He busted right out of the form for sure. And, um, and so anyway, so I'm like more resolved about mass projects like that. I think they're a good access point. I think they make people happy. And I don't think everything has to be, you know, Clint's amazing fountains. I did the cow years ago, and I did it with some kids. And the, the process was great, you know, working with the kids. And um, so, but, but what I'm curious about is how did they get all that funding for those 80 buckies? And if they can do that, we can do that. I mean, that, that's, you know, that, that's what I keep coming to, is that if we could broaden this dialogue and this conversation and, 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 and help other people understand the value of this in our communities for our children and for adults and for everyone, and that everyone had access to it. The funding is there. We just have to find that funding. And, and one of the ideas I always thought of is, you know, if we got a, a group of, of, you know, we have builders in Madison, you know, that really care about the aesthetic of how things look. And if we had a committee of those builders and we had a committee of artists and we had a committee of community organizers, and I'm sure there's some other people that were brought together. And, you know, why should people be buying lighting fixtures from, uh, you know, across the ocean when we, we've, got, we've got light professors and students and we have printmakers and we have sculptural artists. We have everybody here. And, and, and getting in on the ground floor of that budget and, and having those conversations before those buildings go up, we could have art and 
it could be so cool everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, 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 yeah. I... You know, I totally agree 100%. I think the whole idea of innovation is, is everything. And I think this notion of these Bucky badges, and I know that it's, very, it's a very precious you know, icon here. Careful. Um, I'm, I'm going to be extremely careful. Um, I know in London I did, a, I did a project with a gallery and they, they distributed those bicycle helmets to, I think it was 50 artists, and they asked us all to decorate these helmets, and then the gallery then auctioned it off and raised funds. And I think it would have been easier to make smaller Bucky badges, have them distributed to artists and academics and historians and administrators and young kids and assemble all these 80 Bucky's and then auction them and then give the money to the artists, give the money to the community. Because I think these large things are going to be eyesores. I really do. Um, and I think if there was consultation with artists, it would look slightly different. And I sometimes think we get left out of that conversation. Well, we're in a time period where everything has to be huge. Um, <laughs> but let's not just think about visual arts. You've got a lot of activity. You've got the Madison Music uh, Day that, what's it, that the city... Make Music, Make Music Madison. Madison, which... Look at your reaction. We talked about Bucky. Immediately there was a reaction. So you yeah. know that public art has that impact. Uh, Make Music Madison has the same thing. Could be cheesy, but a lot of people really dig it. You know, so uh, film festivals, all these kind of public events that are available to everybody, you can hate them or love them, but you have a reaction to it. And that's when the discussion begins. That's when we need to start moving to a dialogue to move to actually raising funds, to making more art happen across all disciplines. Again, not just the visual arts. So I got this question from uh, the audience, I think, or from Twitter, I'm not sure. Um, but it's, uh, I like it. What is public art's relationship to overall urban design? And should the larger urban landscape be a consideration in the commissioning and placement of public art? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you got landscape architects working with artists. You Absolutely. A whole lot of ways that can happen. Yes, it should be happening. Yep. It, it's, it should be fully integrated. Um, I'm really glad that my position is within the planning department. So when there is a new neighborhood plan or um, the city's comprehensive plan or even just a site being developed, public art is at the table. And it's, part, it's an integral part of the plan. In fact, our public art framework requires, as our best practice, and we don't always hit it, but we try to have an artist on teams, urban design teams. So when State Street was designed, for instance, the engineering firm that was hired had to have a landscape architect and a public artist on the team to kind of inform the whole vision of the project. Um, and we did that with Central Park. Lorna Jordan came in um, and, and just helped choreograph the flow of that park. We only have her bathroom, unfortunately, and then the funding ran out. But we have a Lorna Jordan designed bathroom in Central Park, and I'm sticking to it. Um, and as, as far as your point about artist made parts, I think you know Seattle has sort of the best model of uh, city government choreographing that and having artists, an inventory of artists and what they can design and incorporating that into the actual building of a building. And we did it well with Central Library, mm -hmm. um, yeah, worked with sure. the architects. Part of that architectural budget went and paid for artists to do the pod chairs in the children's mm -hmm. library, the wallpaper throughout the building, um, some of the dividers. It was, it was very successful. And yeah. they used their budget for off-the-shelf pieces. Um, and it was, uh, uh, was cost-neutral. 
So we do hope to do more of that, especially as our public art, our percent for art ordinance mm -hmm. kicks in. That was great. Yeah. Kelly, I'd love to hear some thoughts from you about sort of the intersection of arts and activism. And Faisal, you may have some thoughts about that as well, um, in terms of sort of that line a little bit also between um, what we think of as community art, so art that is driven by the people who are making it, maybe the teens or community members, and art that is either professionally led or professionally sort of solo done. Um, but I wonder if you can just talk a little bit about your experience with that. Well, um, I think that artists and activists, you know, for me, I'm the luckiest person. I get to combine these two things that I love to do. And, um, and, and there's a lot of similarities um, because, you know, artists tend to be people who are very bold. They're risk takers. They're truth tellers. They're problem solvers. They're innovative. They cross the line. They don't sit and wait around for things to happen. They make them happen. And they're, you know, and activists are the same. You know, they don't just sit there and say, wow, um, you know, they, they're always like, this isn't good enough. I'm not content. I need to change this. This problem needs to be solved. So they, they fit together very well. Um, so I, I look about that in like a cultural sort of social ex explanation, but it's a little tricky uh, because, you know, in the, as, an art, as an artist and an activist, when I'm creating a piece, um, there's always this tension between as the artist staying open, you know, staying open and allowing interpretation for your audience. But then as an activist, there's this very didactic sort of intention that comes with the art where there's a message, you know, that I'm trying to relay. Um, so, so it's kind of a, a complicated place in some ways. Um, but for funding and things like that, it's, it's a tremendous place because you're not only accessing funding from um, an arts organization, you're, you're, you're addressing, you're connecting with organizations who care about the interests that you, uh, that you care about. But I think the most powerful thing is that, you know, you can use art as in this coordinated effort of engaging communities and creating these conversations um, and this dialogue centering around these issues. And art has this magic, this ability that it connects people to these ideas in, in ways that preaching at people and yelling at people, they just, it just doesn't connect you in a way. It's not as transformative. Um, but, you know, so, you know, but as an artist, there's always that tension. Excuse me, the tension. Am I being too, uh, you know, am I, am I directing this too much? Um, I did a, a gerrymandering piece where I was looking at um, um, minority voters in prison gerrymandering with a, a friend of mine, uh, Matt Rothschild. And, and so we're creating this, and we're looking at the gerrymandering lines. And so as I'm getting into this huge piece, I'm, 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 I didn't want to get lost. Those lines are important for the viewer to understand how corrupt they are. So I'm, I'm you know, but as an artist, I'm really having fun because it's super abstract, and, and it's always that, that balance. So, I think for me, uh, sometimes it, I, when I work with the young people, they come into the, my studio, and I tell them, you know, I just want to teach them three things, you know, thinking, making, and dissemination. And I say that, and I say that the work itself, the process of making art isn't always physical because what they're going to experience in my sessions will be something that maybe helps them evolve as a human being and maybe there isn't any product. And what I mean by that is these young kids come in and they really look empty, void of any inspiration because of their experiences. And I ask them a simple question. I'm going to stay in this room you're going to leave. And they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to stay in this room for 30 years. 
and I'm going to eat those Oreos, and I don't like them, but I'll eat them, and I'll drink the, the Coca-Cola, and I don't like Coke neither. But you're going to come back and describe who you are. And they're like, what? So yeah, describe who you are. So they say they're going to, they walk in the room, and I said, well, who are you? And they give me some odd answer. I said, did you drive here or did you walk here? And they went, oh, I drove. I goes, what did you drive? So I drove a Bugatti. What color was it? And as I keep asking the question, you can see them getting deeper and deeper into this thing about wonder. What it is to just imagine something that potentially may be impossible. And then when they finish after 10 minutes and they're giving this wonderful story, what they were driving, what they were wearing, the kind of food they were going to bring for me to eat, um, where they live, um, what kind of things they have in their life. I said, all of that is possible. But what you've done, more importantly, is the, the, the capacity just to wonder. And for me, for, this, for a young person to, to have that as a starting point, for me, it gives them all the, 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 the kind of the instruments to either be the best at banking or be the best artist or be just the best human being. So for me, in some ways, that whole process of, of how ideas are formed is, is very much um, an imp important part of, of somebody's just makeup and how they choose to then self-identify. Right, to use it as an educational tool. For me, using art as an educational tool to advance our communities, to work with young people. And I'm a firm believer if we had more access to arts for all our communities, there'd be, there wouldn't be an achievement gap, there wouldn't be any racial inequities as much, you wouldn't have young people fighting because they're too busy drawing, they're too busy playing, too busy doing something creatively active to keep them engaged. So it's all about the process with the outcome being something wonderfully creative by young people and by communities. Mm -hmm. It can be done. We, can, we are a wealthy county, and I don't want to just say Madison because I'm Dane County. We are a wealthy county. We have wonderful access to opportunities. I think it's really dependent on us here mm -hmm. to start being a little bit more vocal about how we go about doing this yeah. and really understand the process and raise money and make money can't go to the grocery store and buy groceries with passion. You need cash. So we should make money at the same process. There are a couple questions here from the audience about how public art commissions are publicized, how you find out you know, when there's a public art opportunity, and also sort of how, kind of connected a little bit, but how artists can get involved when like, high rises go up and how we can see you know, high rises covered in art. Well, you should go to the DAMA website, DaneArtsMuralArts.org, because they not only have classes and workshops, they have a book that we wrote uh, based on how to create murals in a community. You can actually participate and get in training as a muralist. Um, I think a lot of it falls back on to each one of us to be doing our due diligence and really look what is available. At, the, at Dane Arts, we just had a grant cycle where 86 organizations submitted would normally are 50 or 60 applications. We had 86. But all those 86, I got one or two calls from an arts organization for the grant cycle, meaning that people out in the community are not being active enough by contacting a one-person office, a one-person office, to ask how they can participate. Rarely do I get a call from an arts organization saying, how can I help the county raise money so it can go back into the community to help us as individual artists and arts organizations? I'll get the call and saying, why aren't you raising more money? Why aren't you doing more work to help us? And I'm trying, but I really think it falls back on all of us. So I've got a quick question. So the opportunity for artists to be trained to do murals, do they pay to do that or are they paid for their time? 
They're not paying necessarily right now, right? We're bringing in our, we're trying, they're just scrimping to get by. This is, the, this is why I say you can't buy groceries with passion. We give art away so much because we care so much about it. So the Dane Arts Mural Arts, you could just go to the website, put your name in, submit, and fill out the application and participate in training. So there is no cost right now. Yeah, and it goes back to my earlier point that I know that when I graduated from art school, I couldn't give my time to go and do some training because I, need, I needed to pay my bills. So if there was a way that I could get that training whilst I was studying, because I'm already studying, so I'm already at the university, so there's an opportunity for me to learn something while I'm studying, that when I leave, I've got the skills to then possibly apply that to have a job. So I think we have to really think about you know, the artists, because some artists do not have you know, the, the, you know, to be fortunate enough to spend two weeks learning how to do a mural because I think they've got to pay their bills. And sometimes, you know, the, the wolves come, come knocking early. The city posts our calls through the city's, you know, vendor system. We go through our city purchasing system. I try to boost that by using available networks such as CODA, which is right here in Madison. And they're an um, arts administration organization that puts public art in everywhere. They work with governments in certain cities that don't have an art administrator, and they work with private companies here in Madison. You'll, you've seen, like, you've probably noticed an upsurge in the number of private developments that incorporate public art. The AT&T building with the waterfall mural. I'm sorry, I don't know the artist's name off the top of my head. But those kinds of projects, they're brokering and they're coordinating so that the architect or the engineer doesn't have to do that, and they um, have a really big network, so we go through them. Um, we go through Madison Arts Network, um, Milwaukee Artist Network, and we try to get the word out as widely as possible. I call Lindsay and tell her, please, this story is really good. You should, everybody wants this opportunity. And so that's how public artists can tap into opportunities that the city's advertising. But to become a public artist, one needs experience creating public art, which is difficult to do if you can't get a gig because you haven't done it. So the city has a pro program that we've run for a long time now, ten, over 10 years, called Blink for Temporary Public Art. Um, and a lot of students have used it to kind of get their feet wet, see if they like working in the public realm. Uh, the public realm isn't for every artist. You do have to um, work in a public process. You have to you're highly criticized by the whole world, usually. Um, so by doing a Blink project, you, you learn all the steps. You learn how to get the permissions. You learn how to, if your project is big enough, how to work with an engineer to get it designed correctly. Um, and you will be torn apart, but not quite as much as if it were permanent. Um, and so, and you get paid a, a slight amount. So we encourage people to keep their ideas modest so that the amount that we can afford to give for those projects can compensate for the artist time and materials. Um, and so that's a great, it's a way for artists to just recognize an opportunity. They're not responding to, we have a site here, it needs to be a penguin, it needs to be six feet tall. They're saying, you know, I've seen this empty wall every time I walk to work and it bugs me and I think it needs dancers climbing down the side of it and I'm going to make that happen. And, and it gives you the opportunity to kind of imagine the community you want to see. A um, couple more questions from the audience here. 
Um, are there any, I think this has to do sort of with um, artist rights, among other things, but are there any plans for protecting public art that's on private property? Um, so in other words, a, a mural in a private building that is being demolished or renovated or you know covered over by an enormous terrace. Well, you just create more art. No, I mean, there, there's federal law that that protects it. Um, I don't know if anybody saw recently, a, a week ago maybe, the Artists of Five Point, a, this, weeks a big graffiti project um, where a developer wanted to sell the building and and whitewashed the art away, and the artist just got, I think, a, a, uh, over $5 million settlement. I, um, and it's going to change the way VARA, which has been a law since the early 90s, is interpreted, the Visual Artists' Rights Act. Um, it's been around for a long time, but typically when you say, you know, you really shouldn't remove that that way, you're violating VARA, or that's against VARA, people go, eh, VARA, it doesn't have any teeth, nobody uses it, you know, it's not a big deal. But this is really a game changer in how people are going to look at the rights of a visual artist to... Um, have their work not trashed, basically. And and you can still remove artwork under VARA. You just have to let the artist know, we're going to be removing this artwork and negotiate with them. And um, I think more and more, more it will even be affecting us here and in, in, it'll be applied here locally. And read your contract. I mean, write a contract. Read, write, write a contract. Write a memorandum. Whatever. Read it though, because uh, I know a lot of us may not when we get that contract on the rights you have. Uh, you have a lot of rights as an individual artist, um, but a lot of times we don't quite understand the language uh, in these contracts. Mm -hmm. um, but it should be everything should be in the contract, saying spelling it all out. I've gotten in a lot of trouble writing contracts for artists that weren't quite right at the county, and they were quick to point it out mm -hmm. and had to start all over again. Um, again, the responsibility goes back onto you as individual artists. And I know that we all work jobs. I often say another line is hire an individual artist because he or she's an expert in two arenas, the work as an artist and whatever other job they have, you know, because we're all working two jobs on a lot of different levels. Um, but read your contracts. You know, another thing, I think uh, the first, the, the question before you know, how do you find these these opportunities? You know, they're they're out there. Um, and and one of the things I know when I first started doing this, um, I didn't have a I wasn't a, a nonprofit. I do have a nonprofit now, but I didn't have a nonprofit, which then I, I thought I can't do this because I I don't have that status. But there are fiscal re, uh, receivers, people who will will partner with you. So when you apply for some of this stuff, say that that is a criteria. Uh, so don't let that stop you. And then another idea is if you care about an issue, connect with an organization, a nonprofit, who's, who's representing or working towards uh, solving that problem, and tell them your idea. And, and because, you know, a lot of these uh, nonprofits, I find, you know, they can, they can use the art in so many different ways. They can use it in their social media. They can use it in their facility. They can use it out on the road when they're promoting their ideas. So it can be repurposed in a million ways, and they love that. And everybody's looking for cool ways and innovative ways to say something that we're all hearing over and over again. And so they admire the work that I'm speaking to the artists. You know, go for it. 
you know, and as a public entity at the county, and I don't know, maybe the city's probably the same way, we can't advocate on your behalf unless you contact us. Otherwise, it may show a perception of favoritism towards a particular individual. So again, falls back on all of us to reach out and make those connections to businesses or to county or city governments. Because then it can be tracked, you know, because everything at the county, like the city, is transparent, open book records, you know. So it falls on the individual artists of all disciplines to contact the city or county agency or the state arts agency to ask these kind of questions. Then we can get the dialogue going. And then one-on-one, -on -one, there's things that can happen. I know that at the county, I've been able to change the budget in terms of line items, but I had to go through a lot of steps to do that. But now I'm able to do that, and each year the budget's renewed, and each year these line items are there. But unless you contact us, you may not know that those line items are available to you as an individual artist. So off the record in this recording, contact the city or county agencies or state agency, <laughs> our national agency. Very on the record. Um. That was that was Karen Wolf. <laughs> oh, this guy. Um, so I, I I like this question also from the audience. Uh, I'm building a new building in Dane County. I can provide a space for public art. As a builder or building owner, what should be my steps to engage the art community? Ooh. I think you took the first one. Stand up. <laughs> Stand up. <laughs> Identify yourself, and Coda will contact you. Um, yeah, I really do recommend using um, a public art, uh, a pro either someone who's privately practicing public art administration or a company that does it, because there are a lot of, it, 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 there are best practices, you know, and, um, and they will be more likely to be connected to a vast network of artists that can work with you and help you, you know, just get the right fit for your project. Right. Yeah. That's true. Just just so that that gets on this uh, recording as well. The the response from the audience member was just that you can approach an artist individually if you like their work, which I like a lot. Um, so this is a couple of questions, and it's a little bit more broad. Um, but you know, how many artists do you know who are making a living off their work, and what would you like that number to be? Um, and how much does the average project you fund cost, and what do you think it needs to be? So what is what should be? I would say a lot of the artists that work in public art are actually making a living in their in their work. Um, they kind of have to be machines in order to make a living in public art. But you know, because you have to answer calls, you you have to fabricate, you have to install, you have to really be a jack of all trades. But often, when they get to that level, that a community is willing to say, "We're going to pay a hundred thousand dollars or three hundred thousand dollars." or $26 million for CloudGate, um, they're making a living at that level. Um, locally, I know a lot of artists who aren't making a living in their art, and they're, they're creative entrepreneurs, they're patching it together, they're you know, doing many, many projects to make ends meet. Um, and I wish it was much more feasible for artists locally outside of the university to just be able to make a living as an artist. I don't know. Maybe that everyone who wanted to make a living as an artist was making it, I guess. Any other thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's, you know, it's scrappy. 
you know, um, I'm not at the level that does that kind of work at all, not even close. So it's putting together artists in residencies, going to schools, going, making art, uh, um, getting funding through state, local foundations. You know, I, I think it's a great way to do art, but it's not for everybody. You got to write grants. You got to do a lot of stuff that isn't creative at all. You, you know, you're pushing your pop-up shows. Uh, I love them because they move really fast and, and you're constantly, you know, um, moving art, but you're, you're also creating an exhibit. You're promoting your exhibit. It's, it's a hard, hard way to go, but you're connecting to the most phenomenal people. So, you know, so it's, it's different. It's not for everyone. There's a lot of us in this work that will do anything to help individual artists across disciplines. Um, but the one suggestion for anybody I work with is always understand your budget. I'd rather look at a budget and get a sense of what the project is by looking at your numbers. And a lot of us aren't able to, or don't do a very good job at understanding budgets. But there are people that can help you with that, and we want to. Um, if you get a sense of what your budget is and, and you get a sense of what your hourly time might be, you know, you have to decide what you, I always get, I get asked a lot, well, what do you think my time is worth an hour? Well, I, I don't know. You have to determine that. And there are mechanisms that you can go about finding out how to determine how much your time is worth as an hour, an hour if you're an expert in that arena or if you're a volunteer doing that work in a different arena. Um, but there are ways that you can figure out what it costs. If, I know with visual artists, a lot of times it's square foot by width times uh, length over the, how many hours it takes you to create that piece. Um, but a budget is really significant in order to help you better understand what the cost of your art is. And really, once you get that down, you can really uh, do that with everything you do. But it really surprises business, uh, business leaders and others you work with when you, the artist, understand your budget and what things cost and where they're placed within your budget. And also, and also one thing I, I think is important is, is the artists themselves understand your craft. Because I've sat on so many committees, you know, here and in the UK, and some of the stuff I've seen, I'm like, is this person for real? They're actually not ready. And they don't understand when they, when they get turned down, they're thinking, well, you know, here we go again. But they're actually not focusing on their craft. And I remember in, in London, I, I did this big um, uh, public project for a new building. And I remember sitting in the room with all these architects and engineers and hearing them talking about these numbers. And I'm like, they're talking about unbelievable numbers. And based, the reason why I was invited was simply because of the craft of what, I, of what I did to get to that point. And I would tell anybody in this room as an artist, focus on your craft. Everything else can come after. To understand what your hourly rate is, as Mark quite rightly says, there's a rubric that you can work that out. But you won't find a rubric to work on your craft. And when you get to that point, then I think you could think about moving forward, but the craft is really key. I think, I think it's both because I've seen great artists um, that are very focused on their craft not get gigs because they so lack the business skills to market themselves. And I've seen really good marketers that get away with a lot. Um, and, <laughs> and I think, you know, if you can be both, Springboard for the Arts does a really good class in writing a business plan. Um, we haven't brought it for a decade. Mark and I have to talk about bringing them back here. I learned a lot from it um, because 
in the at the end, you have to be able to buy your groceries, put a roof over your head, pay your health insurance. You know, there are costs. And so you have to be able to do the numbers and show that you can make enough. Or do you have to be a 20-hour-a-week artist and take a 30-hour-a-week job someplace else? And it, it just helps you face the reality once you crunch those numbers. I, I want to ask this question sort of in light of something, Karin, that you mentioned recently, which is um, basically a database uh, of public art in the mm -hmm. city of Madison. Mm -hmm. And it made me think about, you know, and this is sort of a question for everybody, when we think about the public art in the city of Madison, um, what do we want it to say? Like, what do you want it to say about us as a city? Um, you know, what, what legacy are we leaving for, you know, the generations who won't remember us besides, you know, the monument that we build and the, what do you want our public art to say? Are you asking them? I'm asking you oh. guys. Oh, so. I mean, <laughs> I also want to know everybody. I mean, what yeah. do you want the art to say? Um, because I deliberately try not to have an answer to that. I feel as a civil servant that I should respond to what the community wants our art to say. Um, and Luckily, most of the time in Madison, I kind of agree with them, <laughs> you know, but uh, I think that um, what I hear when I go into, Madison is a very unique place. Um, they, they do like grassroots, locally produced, community-driven art a lot, and so they're just as fond of a Sid Boyum mushroom, I mean, very, very fond of a little concrete mushroom, as they would be impressed with a, you know, how much was Plenza's fountain? I don't know, 15 million. You know, so there's, they're really, they do want to say something about um, neighborhood, about inclusiveness, community. The new project that we're going to put in at Pennsylvania Park, which is, um, you probably don't know where it is, but it's uh, at Johnson and First Street. It looks like a big bike path. Um, and that's what it is, but it's called Pennsylvania Park. And we're putting in a piece by Ray Chi, a Milwaukee artist, who really responded to a neighborhood ass assertion that we're about inclusive inclusion, and we have own village, and we're a very diverse neighborhood. And, and he created, um, or he's going to create, this big scale words, the people's pronouns, it's called. And it says, we and ours, and it extends the length of the park. So as you're biking through or running through, um, you'll get this message of affirmation. Uh, I don't know if that piece will last 100 years. Um, so I don't know that we'll need to worry about future generations and how they'll interpret that. But um, I think Madison has is, is got some good values, and they express it through their public art. I just have this problem that I, I'm just driving through town, and I just say, there should be art there. There should be art there. There should be art there. I mean, everywhere I go all the time, it just happens. I'll be out in the forest. Wow. There should be a really huge scale flower right there. You know, it's just like I'm always seeing this. And, um, and this, I'm not, I wish I had this magazine. I'm not making this up, but I was flying the other day. I was on a trip, and I picked up the American Airline, you know, little magazine, and I just flipped through it. And it was astounding how many articles were in there about the arts. Arts, public art, I, I think there were five. And I'm not even including, you know, music and food and all that stuff. I'm just talking about visual public arts. And it was, and, and that magazine is all about promoting um, visit, visitors to a community. And, and I mean, I thought, I think it spoke really loud. 
about the value of all of this and why we, we need to have more of it. That's just an economic reason. I mean, the Olympics are all about the arts. I mean, the opening night for the Olympics, nothing but art. Uh, speed skating, I mean, uh, skating last night, uh, the short skate and the, and the uh, other skaters, just incredible art. I mean, it just, but there's been no mention of the art. Halftime shows at the Super Bowl, nothing but art. I mean, we've got it everywhere, and we're not doing a, we are not doing a good enough job at making sure others know that this is art and this has an economic impact and this is a driver in our communities. Um, I just had to say that because I get so upset when I see so much art happening, but it's not recognized as art. It's recognized as something, well, it's not even recognized. It just passes through people's brains. And, and for me, I think, I think slightly different about public art now. I think public art should be relevant because ideas don't stay the same for 100 years. So, you know, in, in the UK, we have this thing called the fourth plinth. So in Trivago Square, there's always an empty plinth. And every year, a curator curates an artist to put something on this fourth plinth. And I think, you know, a lot of the public art that we create should only have a certain amount of time to be here because it was about a particular kind of idea. And then in 20 or 30 years, people think differently. So then why should there be this index that had this kind of idea about what was happening socially that no longer applies? So generation comes through and they're thinking, what's that about? So I think we should be more cognizant of how we can have these things rolling in and rolling out and making them more recyclable. We'll just roll them in and roll them out. As we change and transform, so should the work. Otherwise, we'll have Bucky Badgers for the next 100 years. Yeah, there you go. Okay, I have a fondness for pieces that are lasting. I agree with some pieces needing to be temporal and coming and going and, uh, you know, even of materials that, last for a small time, but I think Madison is, it, I mean, we, we have mounds here that are, um, well, I mean, I consider them the first pieces of public art in the area. And there are mounds that indicate this is a place of commerce or this is a place of, of water. And I think they're really important symbolic uh, messages to future generations and from past generations. So sometimes I think they can be um, it, I think it's important to know our history as well. We're about ready to wrap up here. It's about 8 o'clock, but I did want to just open it up for one kind of final question, um, which is just if you have a single one or two pieces of advice for local artists looking to do more work like this, uh, what would that advice be? Uh, my advice would be, um, you know, it kind of goes along with what Mark was saying, is that you can't know how to do everything. And so the minute you stop you know, do and, and do the things that you that are unique to you and the skills that you can do. And maybe the business stuff isn't your your deal. Um, get help with that because the minute you stall and you stop your project because you don't know what to do, is the minute that it doesn't you don't complete it. So you know, you constantly are. I'm constantly handing things off and I'm moving things all the time just because I got to keep going, keep going. Um, so, it, you know, there's always a way to find out, uh, like Mark taught me how to write a grant, uh, the very first grant 20 years ago, you know, he taught me how to do it. There's people out there that can help you do it. If, if I can write a grant, anybody can write a grant. And then late, now I don't write them. Somebody else writes them for me. You just like, you know, you figure out, okay, I'm That's not going to do that. That's what you learned. To get I'll, I'll, <laughs> you know, and you bar, you work it out. It's like this flow that goes, you know, but it's, it's, it's going. Well, um, my one comment is uh, not so much about 
the art, but we need to be on commissions, we need to be on boards, we need to run for public office, we need, at the, need to be at the policy decision-making table, because I've seen far too many examples where communities have destroyed art, but nobody on that commission or that board was an artist themselves. Uh, so I know artists would speak up for other artists if that was to happen, but I don't see very many of us, and I really appreciate City of Mass and getting artists involved on their commissions and various committees. We just need to be more, participate more at that level. I know we hate doing it, but that's, for me, that's the elephant in the room right now. What boards are we sitting on? What commissions are we sitting on? What public offices are we running for? What are we doing to help ourselves to create better policies for individual artists? Wow, now I'm totally off track and I forgot what I was gonna say because I agree with that and vote. Um, all right, so my th two pieces of advice are to uh, begin it. You know, if you have a vision, if you have something you wanna accomplish, begin it. And also to temper that with um, uh, kind of Buddhist ability to embrace the process because it can take a very long time to get where you want to go, but you will get there if you set the goal. You know, I just think artists just just remember that you know historically you know you're the shapers of social consciousness. Understand that the power that you have, um, understand how blessed you are, just to be celebrated just for your ideas, and try to make your ideas have form. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Cap Times Talks. We put these talks together about once a month or so. In the meantime, you can check out our other podcasts, including The Corner Table, The Cost of Opportunity, and another show brimming with great conversations, just like this one, called Live from Cap Times Idea Fest. Please subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you may find podcasts. I'm Eric Lawrenson, and thanks again for listening.